0: Well, this morning, I want to <coughs> cover a subject of uh, the normal Christian life. Watchman Nee wrote a book years ago, and and that's what he called it. And this is not taken from his book, but the title is kind of taken from his book. And one of the things I like to teach you, and as I've told you before, that you may be challenged this morning. You may be you know, introduced to, to uh, truths and insights, uh, both, you know, moving forward in, in, in necessary adjustments in your life. And some people, sometimes when they will, you know, get illuminated, you know, and... and and it's what uh, I believe that uh, James says, you know, the mirror is held up, which is the word of God, and uh, the, the they get to see really, you know, a picture of themselves. Uh, um, maybe, you know, you may like what you see, you may not like what you see. But the idea is not to make it so that you don't like what you see, because I believe that truth needs to be applied forward, rather than condemning ourselves from the yesterdays, you know, where we lacked the, the uh, illumination, lacked the opportunity. And so my encouragement to us this morning is I might hit some pretty tough areas would be that, that you would take it and just, you know, find a way to apply it forward. Because we are not here to condemn you. We're here to enlighten you. We're not here to, you know what I mean, to, to point out your past, you know, for the sake of your failures. We're here to point out the future that you can have in Jesus Christ, uh, you know, going forward. And so, um, uh, normal Christian life, I think, uh, yes, Let me start with a story. About 250 years ago, there were two Moravian men that heard of an island in the West Indies which was owned by a plantation master. He was a violent man and he treated his slaves with contempt, great contempt and because he was in such control he would not allow them to know anything of christ and christianity no minister was permitted to to come and you know share the gospel plant a church and so these two bavarian men they were gripped with a burden for that people that they might hear about the love of jesus So they intentionally sold themselves into slavery to that plantation master. And the money that they had received for their own lives, they used to pay their fare or passage to that island. They gave up their lives to go and live among that community of slaves and bring them the gospel. On the day of their departure, as they stood on the docks, saying their farewells to their family, knowing that it was highly doubtful they would ever see them again. And as the ship was pulling out of harbor, the mothers were crying on the shore and the last words ever heard from them was when one of the young men cried out from the ship's deck. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Talking about Jesus, of course, on the cross. And that became the catch cry of that Moravian community. The result of that was they sent out 2,158, that is, recorded missionaries. We don't know how many was not recorded, but they had over 2,000 missionaries all over the world because they understood that Jesus died for a people who would never hear the gospel unless someone went to tell them. Now, when we hear these two young men, we are tempted to think, that's not normal selling yourselves into slavery and leaving behind even grieving families is is that normal so what is normal what is normal in the in the Christian life Jesus said in Mark he said if anyone wants to follow my footsteps He must give up all rights to himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. That's the Phillips translation. See, that's what our founder said. That it takes full devotion to Jesus Christ. That's normal. Now, I'm not here to tell you that there's not abnormalities in the body. But we want to reach for being normal. There's a man who wrote scriptures and wrote most of them, and his name is the Apostle Paul. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you're acquainted with some of his writings. He said, follow me as I follow Christ and so we might ask the question this morning what is full devotion to Jesus Christ what is it what does it entail what does full devotion to Jesus Christ actually look like and so in Philippians chapter 3 as my man sets it up there We'll get our passage of Scripture and draw insight from it. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousnesses, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfect, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind it, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, the event of salvation is the entrance to a a new life. New life with God. A life that's prepared by Him to completely meet our every need as we fit into His design. So there are a number of things that the Apostle Paul wrote in the Scriptures and told us what a normal Christian living actually looks like. The first thing he says that a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, he counts all things loss. All his human achievements, he counts as nothing. Three times he uses the word loss, making us a real strong point The things I used to count as gain, I now count as loss. What things was he referring to? Oh, we discover what he has to say about it. He listed some of them. He says, I was circumcised as a baby, which was a religious order. I was prepared prepared for a God-pleasing life by my parents. I was raised in church. I had the right family connections. I was connected to generations of God-fearing people. I became a Pharisee, a leader in the church. In fact, I was a faultless legalist. I mean, I I paid attention to the detail that I, so I'd never do anything wrong. He says, these are the things that I thought of as being a gain to me. I did them and I put them in the asset column, and I was building a big account with God. But he said, I never really saw their true worthlessness. But now he said, I've shifted them into a different column, and into a column that he said it was a liability to him. It didn't bring justification. It emphasizes the person more than the Savior. It detracted from the power of God and of the cross. The word loss is a word that, to explain it in this better, is what happened to Paul when he was on the open seas and the ship was about to go down. And in order to save the ship, as best they could, they threw everything overboard. Everything overboard. Because, you know, it was waiting the ship. He says that all the stuff was a distraction. Things, I was proud of it. My hopes were in it. Think about it. He says, I don't only count them, but loss, but I want to go after Christ. It's rubbish. Let me modernize it for you. My career, my money, my possessions, my house, my cars, my popularity, my fame, my security, my nesting, my future, my fashion. The toys of life, all of those," he said. "It's I'm not pursuing them anymore. I've thrown them overboard." He said, "Anything that interferes with your devotion to Christ needs to be thrown overboard." Because we can boast in a lot of things, but Paul said, God forbid that I should boast, save in the cross of Jesus Christ. Our identity, he says, must be in Jesus Christ. Our salvation in the finished work of Christ alone. They stood in his way. took a different approach and said that human achievements they don't cut it they just don't cut it Jesus is the only one that gives us credit before God Jesus is the only one that gives us righteousness before God There was a great drummer. He was a bass player. Jesus got a hold of his life and called him into the ministry. And he gave up an $8 million contract to just to follow. Jesus, what a devoted follower. See, he says he counts all things lost. It's about his work, not ours. It's his value system, his love, his death, and his life becoming our life. I count it. And so a normal Christian life is fully devoted to Jesus Christ. A fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ also has a passion to know Christ. He said that I might know him. The word know, of course, you know, means to know personally and by experience. It literally means to become like him. Paul said, I used to be content with a lot of knowledge about God. I was trained by the best. I sat at the feet of Gamal. But one day I met him. And you know what? He wasn't at all what I expected. For all my knowledge, I never knew him. Because he said, when God revealed himself to me, or that blinding light alongside the road of Damascus, this God, he found out, was Jesus. He had been trying to serve God by opposing Jesus. And they turned out to be the same person. Hallelujah. He said, now, having caught a glimpse of him, all I want to do is to know him more. Imagine this man who's had this amazing conversion. He is traveling on the road to Damascus. He has authority of letters, letters of authority in his pocket. And in the process of adjourning, there comes this bright light. And he hears this voice and says, Saul, Saul, What are you doing? It's really hard on you what you're doing. The voice comes back and says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And yet this is the same man who had this amazing encounter. He says, there's still more to know. I've had this experience and all it, what it has done, it has triggered a passion in me to get to know more about him. I know mean, it takes time to get to know somebody. It's not just a moment or an event that takes place in our lives and is monumental is an important and you know and and how we celebrate them it is takes time wife and I run 38 years is that right 38 years and we're still getting to know each other still getting to know each other And the more that we get to know each other, I can tell you of a truth today without flattery, you know what I mean? Without trying to gain points with her, you know? She's more beautiful. She's more lovely. And I enjoy her more now than ever because I've really gotten to know her more. More. And one of those things that I've discovered is in about not just knowing, getting to know someone else, is that they get to know us. Now, I know God knows all about us, but there's a revelation that comes to us, you know. And one thing I love about it is that she understands me. God understands you. He understands you. There's a word in the uh, 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 story of, 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 of Gideon as he is conversing with God. A Hebrew word there. And uh, it literally means, you know, Gideon, I understand how you're made. I understand, you know what I mean, your reluctance. I understand your questions that you're asking me at this time. I love that God says, come let us reason together. He wants to bring understanding to our life. He wants you to get a better picture. Because see, sometimes we have a wrong picture of God. And Jesus Christ is, the, is the, you know, the, the perfect, the exact expression of God. Someone that went ahead and did like Paul did, he left everything just to get to an island that to bring the gospel, to bring the saving grace and the love of God to it. That's the one that brought us good news about life and for life. See, Jesus Christ is not just about life. He's about for life. It actually works. It actually works on a 24-hour basis. And there as he yielded himself to the, the nails hanging on the cross and poured out his life's blood to cover, you know, the wrong and the errors of our life. To make it so that God was not mad at you anymore. Hallelujah. He's not mad at you. Everybody say, He's not mad at me. He's for you. He's for you. Now, there is one that's trying to mess up your perspective of God. That's what he did in the garden, he tried to mess up the perspective. God's trying to keep something from you. He's not trying to make your life better. He's holding something back as he stood there with Eve. No. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The first thing he begins to do in his earthly ministry is begin to meet people where they're at. You don't have to start up here in Christ. You can start right where you're at. Hallelujah. He knows you, and he sees things that you don't even see, but he still extends his hand and says, I love you. You know, as we teach our kids, I love you this much. You know, and they throw their arms out as you know as far as they can, because I love you this much. So Paul had an amazing experience we said, I just want to know him. He said that this one is that I'm going to spend eternity with. Not just a lifetime, but eternity with. There's still more to know. And he says we need a passion to want to find out everything about him. I know when I read the scriptures, when I read the New Testament, do you know what I mean? And, and I, of course, I read the Old Testament because it really enlightens a lot of things. I'm really impressed with Jesus. <laughs> I'm impressed with him. So I want to know him. I love how he handles people. I do. I love how his focus in life, you know, is, you know, stays on course at the same time all along the way, helping those who need to be helped. He's not so cross-focused that he can't stop and meet the woman at the well. I know what I'm here for, but while I'm journeying, I. Got some other opportunities that I don't want to let pass me by. And he says, sir, I know all about you. I know that you've had three husbands. We put that in the center of people for once, huh? Talk about all though, you know? Walls that go up. Woo! And he says, I know that you're living with somebody you shouldn't be living with right now. <laughs> but he goes ahead and says, you know, I want to offer you some living water. Somebody give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah! he offers the living water in the most terrible and driest and you know seemingly cuffs that can't hold water but he gives him a drink so a passion for for Christ he, he, he Paul writes and, and pulls and says you know what I mean to give you a little bit of example you know what I mean he says it's, it's, it's a little bit like husbands and wives and he kind of reverses he says you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church because he it's a the bars is really clear up here technically but just think about it God's love is greater than husband and wife love. God's love is greater than, you know, a mom and dad's love. What you think of yourself is, is important. It really is. The value. You may not see value in yourself You may, you know, life and people will point out, you know what I mean, the devalueness of you, but God goes ahead and points out. Because, you know, the very second commandment says to love your neighbor as yourself. So if we don't have a good value system with regard to ourselves, and it needs to come from God and his love for us, You have a tough time loving one another. Really. You'll really struggle with love to other people. But God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He is a God that has come to rescue us. So when you meet those people that have a passion to know Christ, you know, that's normal. Not only that, but a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ lives a new life. It's a new kind of power, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. Imagine this, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1. I do have my timer on too, i got 15 minutes. Paul prays this is, I pray that your eyes and of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know. So you know what? What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in heavenly places. And Jesus Christ forgives us of our sins and comes into our lives, forgives us of our past, You know, moves in to help us with our lives. He says the same power that came into Jesus that raised him from the dead has now come into your life. Normal Christian living is because there's a power in us. A power so powerful that it raised Christ from the dead. It raises us up out of our old way of living into a brand new, whole new life in, in Christ. When I first became a, a Christian, I was raised in a Christian home, but you know, I believed in Jesus, but I did knew little about the power of well, a resurrected life. I believe, that's what faith is. And I believed, you know what I mean? That he he died for my sins. And if I believed in him and received him as my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I was saved. But to live a power-filled life, I didn't know, but as I walked and got to know him, you know, and as my understanding, as Paul said, became enlightened and I became more aware, I realize, have been realizing, yet I have so far to go, that there is a, a dynamic power. A power that he said that greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. He says, the one that's been disrupting everything, the one that interferes with everything, the one that comes to kill, steal, and destroy is not greater than the power of Jesus Christ that he's placed in us as a believer. And Paul writes in Ephesians, I just want to help you to understand it. you got to get a hold of it. And little by little we, you know, get a hold of this this power. The power that not only raises people from the dead, but helps them live a normal Christian life. And he said, I'm now pursuing that life. You see, Christ didn't come just to prove your life. He came to give you an entirely different life. He did not come to make bad people good. He came to make Dead people alive. That's right. Amen. And so when you look and you see it's a difference between just making bad people good and dead people coming alive. Imagine having been dead and all of a sudden, your life—the effects that it have. Paul said this: Galatians chapter two, verse twenty. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live; yet not I. Christ lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I'm telling you this: God is actively, you know, you know, a, a, a part. He's active in your life. There are times, you know what I mean, it may not feel like it, but God wants you to know this morning that he's actively in your life. I tell a story. There was a businessman who was selling a warehouse. For months, this warehouse had remained empty, and as a result of inactivity that needed repairs and people had vandalized it and damaged it and smashed the doors and the windows and put trash in the interior and so as the seller was trying to tell the prospective buyer he said i'll 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 go ahead and i'll correct any structural damage there is and i'll clean out the garbage you know and i'll i'll replace the windows and i'll get this thing back in shape and the buyer said forget about the repairs says, when I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different. I don't want the building or just the building. I want the site. I want the site. Think about it. Think about it. God didn't come into our lives to rescue us because he liked our building. He wanted the site. He wanted the site. He wants you. He wants me. He wants to build an entirely new building there. Something that, of course, we could never do ourselves. You don't have to try and sweep the warehouse. It's useless. It's slated for the wrecking ball anyway. Yes. Living a new life. Living a new life in the power of the Spirit. Number four, a devoted follower of Jesus is prepared to pay the price. They might know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Notice the word suffering death. It's interesting that in the natural world, death is what it is. It's the end of something. But in Christ Jesus, it's the beginning of something. It's the beginning of something. The seasons that you go through, some of those barren times that seem like, you know what I mean? They're death. And there is a death that's going on. It's a death death to self. It's death to something in our life that is hindering the connection and the fruit-bearing process according to John 15. That I might know him being conformed to his, to his death. Prepared to pay the price. Dying to self. Paul wrote about that in First Corinthians 15 as the musicians come this morning. He says, I die daily. He says, I personally set aside my own thoughts, my own emotions my desires, my self-centered ways and expectations that are contrary to what the master wants in my life. It's God that works in us, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. One day it's okay. The next day all of a sudden God starts to check in on us and says, no, no. We need to make some adjustments there. There was a pastor, Columbia, who literally gave his life for Christ because he was slain by a machete type, Weapon, And these are the words of his daughter. Our father's death has inspired us to also lay down our lives. Not just in dying, but to live for Christ. Which she says is sometimes harder. Think about it. Living fully for Christ. Living fully for Christ. Just to hurry along, I'd love to just stay right on that one just for a little bit. But a devoted follower of Jesus sees life as a race to be run to the finish. Notice the words that he uses. Pressing on, reaching out, forgetting the past, moving forward. See, we're not measured by how much we know. We're measured by the passion with which we are committed to living out our faith fully to see life as a race to be one. And Paul as he addressed the these believers, they thought, Paul, you're just a little bit over the top. This is abnormal. And so he says, I know what you're thinking. And so he writes in 15th verse. He says, you may think I'm a little bit over the top. That I ought to take it easy. Chill out. Be a little bit more reasonable. This is from Philip's translation. You may think I'm a fanatic. (laughs) Well, listen, I love you. And I don't condemn you or judge you. I'm praying for you. That God will open your heart and mind to the truth. Because he says, I'm right on this one. I'm right on this one. He says, this is normal. This is the normal Christian life. This is what the power of the resurrected Christ in us produces he says i know what god says is the normal christian life he says there's a lot of things that are open to debate but this is not one of them the normal christian life There are three metaphors and vocations that Paul uses in relationship. What does a Christian living look like? The first one he says is that it's, it's like a dedicated soldier. Dedicated soldier, you know what I mean? Who is devoted and he's ready for battle for his own soul and the souls of others. He attends to his duties that he's been granted and given. He says he doesn't let the everyday affairs become their pursuit. It says that he lives his life to just be pleasing. Just be pleasing. That's what the soldier does. The second one that he uses is the athlete. He says you've got to be like an athlete that knows what the rules are runs and plays with according to the, to the rules. Some of the things that he talks about is God's moral law. He says you need to love God with all your heart. You need to love your enemies. You need to pray for those that persecute you. You need to keep yourself, dare, dare I say this, sexually pure. You don't lie, you don't steal. But that's not all you do. You're generous. Oh, somebody give a heart a praise. See, we can do that, but he says, he says they're generous. <laughs> hey man, we gotta quit. <laughs> and the motive is to win a prize and then, then that, last one is that he's like a hardworking farmer. Maybe that fits the picture better because we understand the working of a farmer. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of sweat. There's a lot of strain. A lot of, a lot of exhaustion. There's a lot of investment that goes into it. We're hard at work sowing the gospel seed, tending the crops and reaping the harvest. For what reason? To receive a share of the crop. My buzzer's buzzing so you're in good shape. And I can actually feel it. So you can share in the harvest. In other words, the reward at the end of it. There's a reward at the end of it. Now, stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. I love normalcy. I love the normal Christian life. Hallelujah. How many love the normal Christian life today? Absolutely. Hallelujah. Let me just say a word here uh, in closing and uh, moving to to VBS. Imagine, church, this morning there's almost 50 kids in VBS. Wow. Wow. Amen. So, we're about investing. We're about investing. Investing in next generations. People invested in me. Now I'm in, about investing in others. Amen? It's normal. It's normal. Now don't go away this morning, you know, and take all your things and dump them overboard. Just don't make them your joy of life. They bring you joy, but Christ alone, he gives us all things freely to in joy. Amen? The blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow. That's right. Praise God. So enjoy the blessing that you've, God has given you, but it doesn't give you more credit with God than the person that might not have anything. For our credit with God is Jesus Christ. Go with God because he's going with you this morning. Amen? Love one another. Thank you for your attention.